0: Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all you dads. Can anybody relate a little bit to some of the things in the video? Hopefully, some of you. I know when I when we got our first minivan, I think a part of me died that day. (laughs) That was hard. That was hard. I think you get used to it; it becomes not so big of a deal. But man, that was tough. But I see a lot of dads here today from all different stages of life, I think. Some of us have dads that, or have kids that are out of the house. Some of you still have kids in the house, and I know there's a few of us who our kids are not quite hatched, and that's a pretty cool thing. Let me ask you a question, though. How many of you dads want to be a good dad to your kids? A lot of hands. Hopefully, everybody. So anybody that does not want to be a good dad? <laughs> that's a good thing, Lisa. Anybody that does not want to be a good dad? Alright, I think that's probably a good thing. So, way to go, church. Good. Let me ask you this. What makes somebody a good dad? What are some things that make somebody a good dad? Help me out. Being there for him or her. Being there for him or her give an example just being home okay good good other ideas unconditional love. unconditional love that's big that's a good one like our father in heaven has unconditional love for us amen any other ideas total submission to Christ Ooh, bring in the spiritual side of it right away, Bill. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Other ideas? Living by, Living by example. That's a good one. That's big. Good. Other ideas? Humility. Humility. That doesn't always come very easy, does it? No. Go ahead, Christopher. Not bad, but tough love and setting boundaries. Tough love and setting boundaries. That is very true. That is very true. Loving their mom. Absolutely. Good one. From a mom. Take note of that, Dan. Yeah, Chris. Hard work? Yeah. It's good. Hard work, for sure. Humor. 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 That's good. I, I, I like that one because I like to give my kids a hard time. <laughs> Other ideas? All right, here's maybe a question that is a little bit harder is, how do you know if you're a good dad? I think that's a little harder to, to answer. I think the, the right answer is, if your wife says you are, that's probably good. <laughs> right? But, you know, as we celebrate Father's Day today, I realize that there's a large mix of emotions here. There's joy and there's celebration. And there's also some sadness and and probably some anger. Our our dads leave a mark on us, don't they? They impact us. And sometimes it's not always in a good way. And uh, those of us that have had a bad example as... Uh, earthly father I always want to point you to our father in heaven who is good and who loves you and the psalmist says in Psalm 68 that he is a father to the fatherless and that he places the lonely in families and he sets the prisoner free and he gives you joy and that's my prayer for you today that you would find joy through your heavenly father We're continuing in our Fixer Upper series this week. It's a series that we're hoping will strengthen our marriages and families here at Southside. And last week, Pastor John challenged us with a question. He said, Can you name one occasion in which Jesus speaks positively about families? It's kind of a shocking question, wasn't it? Did anybody find anything? Did anybody look? Christopher, good. He's doing his homework. I was that I oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, God invites us into a family. Mm-hmm. So it's not just an example of the nuclear community, but it says, uh, what I'm forming is a family, and you're welcome to be part of it. Yeah. Good. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. The idea is not so much the family, but the, the nuclear family, the, the immediate family. And Pastor John noted last week that, that our Western Christian culture, we've identified the nuclear family as the only or primary focus of attention. And he said it's not scriptural or necessarily healthy, in that the church family, as Christopher is saying, is the New Testament central community focus. And every time Jesus talks about families, he sees them as either competing for him or for his community. And that's kind of an inter- interesting idea, isn't it? And it, it's an interesting thing. But as with anything in life, we always want to go back to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Because our tendency is always to, to go down the lazy river of life. Right, Just kind of flowing with the cultural current wherever that takes us because it's nice, it's convenient, and it's kind of relaxing. You don't have to fight so much. But the only problem is that our destination is not the same as everybody else's. Right? We're not going to the same place. So obviously we want to grab as many people as we can and take them where we're going, but that isn't always going to happen. But if we're going to go to a different destination than there, it makes sense that our paths are going to look a little differently, doesn't it? Jesus had something to say about that. Look with me in Matthew chapter 7. He says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. So we always want to take our instruction from the Bible, not from what culture says. So I'm going to take us back way to the beginning, Of time, about 6,000 years ago when God first created man and woman. All right, so we're going to read together Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can look there. Otherwise, they're on the screen for you. But we read, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. And then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. So here we have God and Adam and Eve before sin ever entered the world. So this is the family of God. This is the family of God. So mark that mankind is made in the image of God. And men and women and their children and their children's children are now image bearers of God. And man and women are given the, the same command to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and to govern it. So in other words, our purpose from the very beginning of time was to add to God's family and represent God's authority and character in this world. So we're going to jump to chapter 2. He talks a little bit more in detail when he creates Eve. So Genesis 2.18. He says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So he he causes Adam to go into a deep sleep. He rips one of his ribs out, and he takes that rib, and somehow he makes a woman out of it. That's pretty cool. I can't do that. But then in verse 24, we read, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now take notice of that because there is a beauty in this. Man and woman created together in the image of God, and there's a special unity together as the two are now made into one. And in this image, we have a representation of the Trinity, because we have man and woman both having an equality with one another and a oneness, a unity together. It's cool. So we're going to go back to verse 18. Notice the word helper here. Eve was created to be a helper to Adam. And in this picture, Adam is given responsibility, is given headship of this union. And Eve submits to the head as she helps him in this responsibility. I realize I just said the S word. For some of you guys, like, oh my gosh, you just said submit, I don't like that. And I get it. I get it. And here's here's the deal with that. This could be a whole nother sermon, I understand it. But we have made this whole idea of husband-wife submission totally something it was never meant to be. So let's not fixate on that, because that's a whole nother topic. But the main point I want us to get right now is that man and woman were created to do God's mission together. To be one. And that's very important to catch. Because in this Western world, we have romanticized marriage far too much. And we've bought into this notion that it's all about us. And it's all about our happiness. It's the be-all, end-all. And if I feel like my needs aren't being met in my marriage, and I'm going to go and I'm going to find something else or someone else, and I'm going to go and make me happy. Right? I'm going to go make me happy because it's about my happiness. And what this does is it separates us from God's mission. The husband is now focused completely on his needs or his desires, the wife is focused on hers, and their house is divided. Their house is divided. And Jesus speaks into this idea. He says, If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And you know, it's no wonder why we have such a problem with marriage and divorce in marriage, is because we've made it all about us. We've made it all about our own happiness. But marriage doesn't exist solely for us. It doesn't. It was created so that we could live out God's mission together. Our marriages and our families are part of a structure that God put in place, yes, for our good and satisfaction, but ultimately it's for His glory. It's for His glory. And men, our job is to lead our wives and our families in carrying out God's mission. And ladies, your job is to, to help your husbands in carrying out this mission. All for His glory. It's for something much bigger. So again, our mission is to add to the family of God and represent God's character and authority as image bearers of God. Now the home... Our nuclear family is a place where this begins to naturally take shape, and it's one of the the easy steps that—well, not easy, but it's one of the first steps that we can take towards making or carrying out this mission. And we read this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So for those of us that have been in church for any number of years, we've probably heard this at some point or another, but let's read this. It says, Listen, O Israel! The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Notice the intentionality here notice the intentionality now i don't think the word disciple existed yet when deuteronomy was written but that's exactly what we're doing we're making disciples we're making disciples we're adding to the family of god telling our children about him throughout the rhythms of our life so that they may know him also that's the goal now if you look at the new testament jesus issues another command and we call it the great commission uh, Matthew through twenty eight nineteen 19-20 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. Is that any different than the original command of God? To be fruitful and multiply? To fill the earth and govern it? It might seem like it. But note this. When God first made that command, Earth, creation was perfect. There was a family of God. Now there's separation. Man's heart are distance from God. It's no longer automatically the family of God. There's a spiritual birth that has to take place. So in essence, this is exactly the same command as he gave man and woman from the very beginning to add to the family of God and to represent him throughout the world. Now we call this The mission of the church, don't we? And I don't think that's exactly right, because when we do that, we kind of separate ourselves from this mission. He gave it to us, to man and woman from the beginning, but we've made this now the church's mission. So it's Pastor John's mission to go and make disciples, or Pastor Michael, or whoever. It's the church's job to do this, and somehow in our little family bubble, we don't... We're not tasked with this, but that's not the case. It is ours, the mission of God as we do this together. And as Pastor John alluded to last week, everything in the New Testament was done not in the context of the nuclear family, but in the context of the family of God. And there's a lot to be said for the nuclear family. I do believe it's one of God's great gifts to us. I'm thankful for that. But again, it was never intended to be solely for our own satisfaction. It was to carry out his mission together. To carry out his mission, and honestly, this is something that has taken me a while to uh, to really get. I think God's still working on me in some ways. But when I, when Jess and I got married, we didn't really have. We didn't start out with any kind of ultimate purpose or common goal, and somewhere along the line, we kind of, as kids happened and things happened, we started to get divided, and somewhere along the line, I got this idea that I had to sacrifice my family in order to do God's work, and that was kind of messed up. So up until about six years ago, I really had no understanding of what my role was as a husband or as a father, and you realize I was raised in church, so you think I should get this, right? Right? but I wasn't. I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand. And what happened was I started to put my family on the altar of all of my idols, one of which was ministry. And where my wife, where Jessica, should have been flourishing under my leadership, she was being crushed by all the weight that I had put on her. And that wasn't the intent. I didn't love her like she needed or deserved to be loved. And that it caused a lot of pain it caused a lot of hurt and a lot of mistrust in our relationship and the crazy thing is that at the time i thought that she was the problem i did i was like god what is with this woman that you gave me man she's holding me back i'm trying to do what you want and i didn't get the connection i'm supposed to lead them i'm supposed to to minister to them and we're supposed to do this together I didn't get that at all. And even now, years later, we still sometimes have to work through some of the issues that happened during that time because things don't get fixed just like that. It takes time. So sometimes we still have to work through some of that today. And in the same way, I wasn't a good dad. I was largely absent from my boys. And my idea of being a good dad was just providing for them physically and laying the smack down disciplining them so the only time I really paid much attention to them was when I was yelling at them or telling them what they should be doing and the thing was I was convinced in my heart or I was convinced in my mind that they would end up okay that they would be spiritually fine when they left the house because I was a Christian and I was going to church and not only that I was in ministry that's big right so I thought you know God's going to work it out I'm just going to trust him and, and he'll deal with all that stuff but that's not the case, guys. Here, here's the reality. We're losing. We're losing. If you look at stats, no, we're gonna, this is from Barna. If you are in the builder generation, some of our older folk, uh, there is a 60% chance that you're in church somewhere in the U.S. today. If you're a, a baby boomer, there's 40% chance. If you're in my generation, Generation X, that drops down to 20 And then our millennials are are less than ten percent chance that they are in church today. Fifty nine percent of our millennials who have been raised in church are leaving the church. It's a little eye opening, and I say that not to beat anybody up. I say not to say like, "Oh man, life is terrible; the church is going down. What are we going to do?" But we gotta like take note. Does that change anything that we're doing? Does it change our perspective? I remember when uh, when Jacob he's my firstborn. he was playing the piano today and he's taller than I am now so I don't like him anymore but I remember when he was first born and any of you moms and dads you remember when you had your, your first son or daughter it is amazing and I remember holding this little guy in my arms just in awe at the miracle of life and what God did That's so cool. It's a miracle. And I'm looking at he's got his perfect hands and feet. um, I think he had a hairy back at the time, which wasn't very... uh, It's kind of weird and gross. He had his massive cone head. Massive cone head because he wasn't very good to his mom. and He has a very long birth. But we just put a little hat on top of that so he was cuter. (laughs) But... But it was just—it was so cool, and I was sitting in awe at the wonder of God, and just thinking life is going to be so good from this point on. And that was 18 years ago. That was 18 years ago. Moms and dads, you know time flies, doesn't it? It goes so fast. And just in the last month, he graduated from high school, and I can't help but take time to reflect as we look back on this life. How have I done so far? Did, did I teach him well? Did I focus on the most important things? What did I teach him through my example? Did I show enough of Jesus in my life? Did I emphasize it enough? Did I show them that sacrifice for the kingdom of God is a good thing? And have I been too focused on this life instead of eternity? Because as a dad who loves Jesus, I think our biggest concern for our kids is their relationship with Christ and their eternal future. Do you agree? So, I want to be sure that that is what I'm modeling for my boys. So, before we leave it today, I want to challenge us in a few areas where I have failed. And I hope that you guys are ahead of where I was. But if you're married this Realize this involves both of you together. We've got to do this together. And if you're single or married or or whatever, let's choose to do this together, to live in mission as a family of God for a higher purpose. All right? So number one, seek to know God and to live out His mission. Seek to know God and live out His mission because this life is not our ultimate destination. First Chronicles 22.19 says, Set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Now too often, we get this idea that living out our faith is simply a matter of accumulating knowledge, of going to church, of reading the Bible, of getting more head knowledge, of having more Bible studies. And while that's all good, knowledge in itself does not satisfy It doesn't satisfy. Jesus is what satisfies. I was reading the Gospel of John recently, and I shared this with the elders recently, but I was reading the Gospel of John, and I noticed time and time again, people would go to Jesus, and they would ask him questions. Jesus didn't answer them. He didn't answer their question. I'm just thinking, Jesus, you are being rude. Just answer their question, they're trying to answer or ask a question, and he just, he didn't do that, but what he did was he pointed right at their heart. The issues of their heart. And you know, as a culture today, I think we are very out of tune with our hearts. Right out of tune, we're disconnected, we put it all up here, and, and I know that because that's how I am, and I'm struggling with this because it's a whole new way of thinking and of relating to God. But I'm I'm finding, I'm learning that my feelings and my emotions, some things that trigger from time to time in my life, like a snap, I'm kind of angry, or I get whatever here, a lot of times God is using those kind of moments to get my attention. Because he wants to deal with something in my own heart. A wall that I'm putting up, or some kind of hurt that I have. And I need to take note of those times where he's doing that and allow him to speak into this because you know a lot of times I can say I'm just feeling this way because this just happened up here or this you know I can think I can pinpoint it right like real easily but it's not it's something that goes much deeper from years ago and maybe some of you guys can relate if you have a father wound or something that happened when you were kids and there's these deep issues that God wants to deal with and work on in our hearts and that requires us to be honest and it requires us to allow him to speak into our lives. Helping us identify those. And sometimes God is going to ask you to, to do something in response. To do something. And, and that's going to require you to either submit to that or to ignore it. But he wants to get into our hearts. And church, if we want to live out God's mission, we need to allow him access into our hearts. We need to allow him the ability to point out our junk in our lives because we all have it, and he wants to bring healing. You no know dads, we are the ones who set the spiritual temperature in our homes. We're the ones who set the spiritual temperature in our homes. Research has shown it again and again. What is your life like? How are we living? Are we modeling? Because it has to start with us. It has to start with us. Where are we setting that temperature? Number two, lead our homes with love. With love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. When God began to open up my eyes five or six years ago, I I became hungry to learn how to be a better father, how to be a better husband, and I started reading, I started watching things, and there was something that I heard, it was on a Father's Day, it was a simulcast, but it was something that Stephen Kendrick had said about fathers with their children. He says, don't lose their hearts. He said, don't lose their hearts. He said, lead with love, your children will follow if you have their hearts and they know that you love them. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, yeah, duh. But man, I was like, Poof. that blew my mind and then totally changed my life. It changed so much. Now, that doesn't mean that I give in to what they want. I still do what I believe is best for them. But a lot of times as parents, we can come in right away with the authority card. I'm the dad and you're going to do what I said because I said it. Now, just go do it. Or something like that. And we missed this whole heart piece. But this approach, it forced me to address my own motivations, my own issues in dealing with them, in discipline, and I also had to think ahead, what is this encounter going to produce in our relationship? That was a game changer for me. Now realize, I still mess up. My boys will tell you, I do that a lot. But what this does is it has led to moments of extreme humility. Bob, I said, think you said that. There have been many times where I have blown it. And I've yelled, I've punished in anger, and I've had to go to them, and I've had to ask for their forgiveness. I've had to say, you know what? I did not handle that in the right way. I was angry, I lashed out, and that was not the spirit that I wanted to do this. And I've had to ask for their forgiveness. And that's not always easy to do. But you know, it's been so healing in our relationships. It's been so good. And you know, the funny thing is, dads and probably his moms, you want to put up this impenetrable image of perfection. I got it all together. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm always right. But the thing is, our kids and and those around us, they see every flaw. You're not fooling anybody. And when we can start to admit our flaws and admit our mistakes, people find us a lot more approachable. They find us a lot more trustworthy. And it it builds trust. Now, there have been times in, in... my life with our boys now, where I might make a decision that they don't agree with, but because they know that I love them, because I have their heart, they're much more quick to accept it. So, lead with love. Relationship always comes before the task or the circumstance. Always. And that's the heart of Jesus. Number three, be intentional in aligning our actions with our priorities. Align our actions with our prayers. James 1.22 says, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. And I saw a quote from Beth Moore that said, Are you more concerned about your child's success than you are about his or her godliness? And that kind of made me think a little bit. We often define success in terms of worldly success, and that's dangerous because worldly success and godly success are not the same thing. And it's easy just to go into fault and to think in terms of this earth. But what are we really concerned about? Do our actions line up with what we say that we believe? Because they get out of whack real quick... And it's time to let God examine our lives and our hearts. And if we say it's about a relationship with Jesus, if we're telling people that Christianity is about a relationship, are we being intentional in investing into that relationship? Are we doing that? Or are we just going through the motions? If we're telling our kids that church and the family of God are important, are we making that a priority in our lives? And if I can poke just a little bit, this whole trend where church attendance now is coming to to twice a month, where it used to be all the time, I don't get that. I don't understand it at all. It's not a sin issue, but I wonder if it's really what's best. I get that the work, sometimes you have to work and you can't make it to church, that's fine, but when we allow other things, like our kids' sports, or family vacations where we're gone all the time, What are we showing, what are we demonstrating, or are our priorities by how we live? And, you know, that's just an example, so don't get so caught up in it, but I think we need to start looking at that kind of thing. And if we agree that our lives should be focused more on eternity than on this earthly life, are we also generously investing into the kingdom of God with our time and resources? Or are we focused more in this life and all the comforts of home? So we got priorities we know, we think, and sometimes we're just right in that cultural wave and we don't realize that what I'm believing or what I say I believe and what I'm actually doing, they don't quite sync up. You know what I mean? All right, lastly, live in community with other believers. And this is important. Acts two forty two said all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals and to prayer. And the thing is today, church, families, nuclear immediate families today tend to be very isolated. They're isolated, and men especially they have no real friends that they can share their lives with, share their hearts with, share some of their struggles and their secrets. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. Years ago, my family almost became a statistic because we isolated ourselves from the family of God. We didn't allow anybody in. We were prideful, and we wanted to keep our junk hidden. And it almost destroyed us. It almost destroyed us as Pastor John and his home group shared last week, we all need a safe place. We need a safe place, and this was intended to be within the family of God. As a church, we got to do this mission together. Together. That's where there's strength. So here's, here's what I want us to do. I know I've just thrown a lot out there, kind of spewed all over you. Hopefully you're not feeling too messy. But... I've laid out some concepts, some areas where I've really failed in my life, okay? And I want us to just take a minute and take one or two of these ideas, and let's see if we can turn it into something very practical that we can live out. And that's going to be something different for everybody. Let's go through the four things together. Seek to know God. God. And to live out his mission, again, this involves your mind and especially your heart. That's where we often have the disconnect, is with our heart. Do we know God? Number two, lead our homes with love. Relationship above task, above circumstance, always lead with love. Align our actions with our priorities. We want God to speak into that and see if we're out of sync with what we say and what we're actually doing. And I confess, I've got to do this a lot. I do so it's not a bad thing but sometimes we just need God to examine our lives and say hey show me what's going on here and lastly live in community with other believers we need to do this together as a family of God now the Bible makes it clear that the Holy Spirit wants to communicate with us he's often looking for areas for ways to break into our lives to speak into our hearts so that we can be more like him And I hope, I pray, I think that somewhere along this morning, maybe he put a finger on something in your life. Maybe just one thing. I don't want you to get caught up with a bunch of stuff, but maybe there's just one or two things that stand out and God is asking you to do something. So I'd like to just give you a a minute or so and just let the Holy Spirit speak into that. And if you want to make a note on your outline, you're free to do that. Let's just take a moment and listen. it's time to lead let's do this together let's lead our homes faithfully as we celebrate and participate in God's mission for us this is what we were created to do from the beginning of time it still goes on God does not change but his methods often do so if you need some help or maybe you need to have a better idea what this looks like being lived out there are marriage family resources on the bottom of your outline on the back page Uh, please take advantage of those if you need some material to to read and study I'd love to talk with you sometime and see what might work uh, for you but we don't want to leave you hanging we want to do this together and help each other the best that we can alright? So we want to represent our Heavenly Father wherever we go and add to his family. And uh, dads, I know life isn't easy. I know there's a lot of things the devil is hes fighting, and we got to fight back. God's got a mission, and we want, to, we want to pursue that great mission for us. I'm going to have all you dads stand, uh, whether your kids are out of the house, whether they're still here, or if they're still baking in the oven. <laughs> so can you stand up I just, I just want to pray together and let's acknowledge our dad let's pray for them let's pray together Lord we celebrate you today as our heavenly father Lord you are loving and gentle and firm and fair Lord you are our perfect father and we thank you for the gift of our earthly fathers And for many of us, our dads are wonderful examples of you and of your love. And for others of us, we ask for healing. For hearts that are still hurting today. May we know your perfect love and your peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, no matter our background, we affirm that we want to be good dads to our children. And help us to represent your character in every part of our life. From our homes and into our workplaces. May we model your love and goodness to us as you give us patience in every circumstance. Give us a heart both for our immediate families and for the greater family of God. Lord, help us to lead well, persevering through trials and intentionally pointing people to you in our relationships. Empower us today and our families as we take steps to participate in your ongoing mission. And may we pray more of you, Jesus. And last of us, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen.